Thanks, John. Good morning, church. Um, is John's first time chairing? Yeah, so he's done an amazing job. <laughs> For the prayer month, we um, tried to get some of our um, prayer people, not that you, know, you guys are not, um, but people who are, who are you know, doing a lot of things behind the scene um, to come and help us chair some of our services um, and also to encourage everyone to pray more. Okay, let me get started. Cool. Uh, Grace, are you all right to run my slides? Great, thank you. Okay, teach us to pray. So um, our church this season have really put in um, a concerted effort to help all of us grow in prayer. Right? We have that whole week of WCC prayer week. We have the National Day of Prayer that we hosted here. And last Sunday, we had this church-wide um, after-service prayer. And then what you may not know is that there's actually um, a home group series being prepared right now as we speak. Chris just recorded it on Wednesday. They will be launching this month uh, into each of the home groups to help us uh, learn to pray more and, and, and pray um, deeper, right? Um, and also, we have four weeks of Teach Us to Pray uh, Sunday uh, series. So every week, we're going to just encourage you to pray. We also want to make this whole uh, series very practical. So today, um, my topic is on the second line of the Lord's Prayer. We're basing the whole series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, but we will also be introducing some tools that can help us pray um, better, to extend our understanding of prayer and to add in elements of prayer that I know that may not be um, a natural for some of us. Um, you know, prayer, Chris shared last week um, that prayer primarily for, 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 for a lot of prayers are self-focused. Um, but uh, today we're going to look at the second verse, um, which is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And while we're doing this, I just want to um, share that, you know, prayer is more than us just coming and asking God for help. So that is the simplest form of prayer, right? Come, it's like, God help me, God help me. But prayer is actually um, a means of us communicating with God. It is very much like in our natural relationship, right? Now, without prayer, just imagine you and your spouse or you and, your, or, and a good friend. If you want to develop um, that relationship, you have to communicate. So prayer is actually us communicating with God. When we um, hear prayer, it's like usually we think, oh, we're, we're, we're talking to God, we're praying, we're praying out loud. Very, um, not often would we imagine prayer as us um, listening. But prayer is a two-way communication. So, like, for you and your spouse, right, imagine if you're only speaking to your spouse once a week or once a month or once several months, right? How intimate is that relationship? Or you're only speaking to your friend once every three months. How much are you going to know your friend? So prayer is that means of us growing our intimacy with the Lord. So it's not just us asking God for things, right? And um, I know, you know, all of us, we seated here, there are some of you who've got such a um, vibrant prayer life, and we are so glad and, and, and so encouraged by that because, you know what, people who've got very vibrant prayer life, um, we, we are all impacted by their lives because because they, they, you know, you just know, and then the way they live their life is different, and, and it affects us. When someone who spends a lot of time in prayer with God, um, in the presence of God, it's like, you know, the Bible said, Moses, who spent a lot of time with God, when he comes out, his countenance is different, yeah? And then there are some of us here who um, are just starting out in prayer. You may be like me not very many years ago, when I was just really afraid to even um, pray out loud. 
you know, I, I'm quite happy. I was quite happy praying by myself um, in the home, um, praying in my mind. But it was really uncomfortable for me to pray out loud, even in a small group. So we have people from um, all different journeys in our, prayer, in our prayer life, in our prayer walk. But all of us can grow in prayer. It doesn't matter where we are at. All of us can grow in prayer because all of us can grow in our intimacy with the Lord. So if we look at prayer as a channel, as a means for our growing in intimacy with the Lord, then you know that it is indispensable because our God is a relational God, right? He wants to have a, relational, a relationship with us. So without that communication, how? Like how? How are we going to grow in the intimacy, right? If we are, we are not praying, if we are not praying, and I'm not talking about praying in a group, praying out loud, but if we are not carving out time to pray, what does that reflect in our intimacy, our relationship with God, right? There's, there's not a question for me to answer. This is a question for all of us to reflect on. So, um, so um, let's, let's start. I'm just going to pray first. Father, we want to thank you, Lord God, for your presence in our midst, Father. Lord, help us all to grow in prayer. And we know, Father God, that while it is our responsibility, our agency, we really need your Holy Spirit to bring about that convictions to bring about the transformation within us to draw us into your presence so that we can grow, Lord. In, in prayer, we can grow in our knowledge of you. We can grow in our intimacy with you, Father. I pray, Father God, that you help us to be more aware of your presence. Open up our spiritual senses, Father God, so that we are more aware of your presence, so that we know, Father God, that you'll be with us all the time, speaking to us, ministering to us, guiding us, leading us, Lord God. So we want to commit this time to you, Father. I invite you to come and have your way and speak to all our hearts, Lord God, wherever we are at. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Okay. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, so, you know, in um, I think Luke 11, 1, one of the disciples asked Jesus, like, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Right? Like, I always wondered why the disciples who walked so closely with Jesus, who lived with Jesus, right, who ministered alongside with Jesus, um, would, out of all, like, a whole range of things that they could ask Jesus to teach them, ask, Jesus, would you teach me how to pray instead of how to preach or how to um, share uh, our faith? I think it's because they could see that prayer is the key to Jesus' ministry. And they are very much aware that they need help in that area. So awareness is the first step to, to transformation and, and growth. Yeah? So part of the objective of this um, series is to help us be aware that we all need help in prayer, that we all need to grow in prayer. So Jesus teaches to pray, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Chris shared about how um, it starts with our Father in heaven, affirming our relationship with him, affirming our, identi our identity in him, right? And then it goes to adoration and thanksgiving. And then today we are looking at the second sentence, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we first brought up the Lord's Prayer in staff meeting, some of our staff said, oh, you know what, I know that because we used to recite that every week at school, but I have no idea what it means. So that it made me wonder, oh, wow, you know what, the Lord's Prayer, we, we probably all know it, right? But do we, do we know what it means? Do we know the implications of it when we say it? What does it mean when we say, 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why does Jesus teach us to pray that? There's only a few sentences in that prayer. Like, I, I wonder why did he include those sentences and not the others? What does it mean when he says, your kingdom come, pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Or are we just reciting it meaninglessly, religiously? Right, because that's not what we want to do. So I thought before we move on to the practical things, um, we just want to have a look what this means and what, what, you know, what, what should really we be thinking about when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So firstly, kingdom. So kingdom is a concept we all understand, right? Um, even though we don't use it in our daily converse a lot. You know, we don't go, um, hi Jack, how's your kingdom going? You know? Or like, hi Siani, what's been happening in your kingdom? Right? We, we don't use that word a lot, but we understand what kingdom means. So, um, kingdom, kingdom, um, like, simply defined is a sphere or a realm where, um, like, if it's our kingdom, it's a sphere and a realm where we have full control. Everything is arranged to suit us, all of us. Even though we don't use the word kingdom, but all of us have our kingdoms. For me, one of them is my study desk, right? I just like it the way things are. I have this big monitor at the correct height. I have the space on the right for my laptop, to, and everything is ready for me to just put my laptop there and plug everything in. Um, and then, more importantly, I have this little heater just under my desk, and that I would like, every time I sit there, I would turn it on because I get cold because my, my udi, right doesn't cover my legs. So that I always I need that heater there, so everything is arranged the way I like it. And I really don't like it when Chris, because he's like, he's a, he's like oh, I don't need a desk, I can just float, right? And then sometimes he would like, float onto my desk, and he uses my desk, and then he would like rearrange some of my arrangements, and I just go, oh, because then he doesn't pull it back. So then when I come back, and it's like, oh, my little kingdom has been disrupted. All of you have your little kingdoms, right? Your kitchen. You know, some of you, it's so secret, you don't share it with anyone. For some of you, it's your cars, right? I know parents who, like, love their children so much, but you know what? The children cannot eat in the car, even though they are starving. Just no eating in their car is their kingdom. Some of you um, could be your hobbies. Saturday morning golf. Don't call me unless you're dying. Right? There's some things you just like, nah, that is the thing that has just been arranged to suit me and what I like. All of us have kingdoms. And some of us are very territorial about our kingdoms, like teens, right? And their bedrooms. Grace used to have this plug on, like, in front of the door. Say, like, please knock before you enter. Because we still forget. Um, or some of us, when we're driving, we get really annoyed when someone just cut into our lane because that's our lane. And especially when they cut in without signaling, something within us just go, ah! Right? So even though it's not a word that we use a lot, it is a concept we all are familiar with. So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, God's kingdom um, is, is this, is, is a sphere, it's a sphere where he rules and he, he, he reigns. Basically, he controls, like, like he, he has his way, he has say in everything. Now, if we have finished the book of Matthew in our BRP, right, it's the first book. If you haven't finished, it's okay, keep going, even though, you know, we're already in Acts. You know, I was only, I'm only in Luke. Um, but if you finish the book of Matthew, you would have read a lot about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. In the book of Matthew alone, it is mentioned 32 times. 32 times in one book. And um, it is told to us in parables and analogies. For example, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like this wedding banquet that the king throws for his son. And the door to that banquet will be shut 
to those who are too distracted or too busy or refuse to attend. And then he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this treasure in a hidden field. And um, we would be wise to sell everything we own to get that field, to, I mean, to buy that field, to get that treasure. He also said that the kingdom of heaven has keys that he will give, it, that he will give to us. And he also said that the kingdom of heaven has secrets accessible only to those who fear and love him. And then he also said the kingdom of heaven is the very thing we must first seek so that all our worldly needs are given to us. And then he said, another one, just last one, all right? Um, I won't go through all 32. <laughs> um, and another one, and this really spoke to me, is that he said, not everyone who said, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what are we to make of these collections of like teachings? Because you know, I was trying to find what is that one theme? What is that one line? And it's like, whoa, it's like so massive. I, I, I couldn't. Um, so, like, so the kingdom of God is um, it's a space where God has full um, control. Like he has his way. Now, you know, I mentioned that we all have these little, little um, spheres, right? Um, it's because we are created in God's image. So innately, we are made for dominion and rulership. And, and that's why, you know, we have all of these little, little things that, that we like to arrange to, to suit us, whether we are thinking about it or not. So in Psalm... 103.19, I think I've got that in slide. It says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. So wherever God reigns as king, there His kingdom is. So now we're trying to understand, what is His kingdom? Right? So when we say, Your kingdom come, your will be done, we're trying to imagine what that is like. So His, his kingdom is um, this like wherever he reigns as king, there's his kingdom. It is the realm where God has his say, has his way. It's a, it's a sphere where his will is carried out. Um, so wherever his will is done, there his kingdom is. You have to remember this. Wherever his will is done, there his kingdom is. So we talk about how we are created in this image of God, right? In the image of God. And we have this innate desire to have our kingdom, because we are, we are created for dominion um, and rulership. It, and it is reflective of our Father, who is um, king and ruler in heaven. But the problem is, our kingdom sometimes doesn't necessarily reflect God's kingdom. So then Jesus teaches us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when we pray this, so now we understand God's kingdom, we understand how we reflect His nature by also naturally having this kingdom. Um, and two other things we need to keep in mind, we need to understand when we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is firstly, your kingdom come is something personal. So it's like your kingdom come, firstly, in me. Your kingdom come in me. So what it means is that first, the self, this self that is so... Um, disposed to dominion and rulership, firstly, has to be dethroned. We are eff effectively laying down our own kingdom, getting off you know, that throne of our lives, and we're asking God to come and establish His reign in the here and now in our lives. It means that we are saying we're releasing control over to, to you. Like Everything that we have, our, our lives, our, our career, our family, our, our jobs, our ministry, everything, we surrender because we are first having God's kingdom come in us. It's saying, um, not my will, but yours be done. And it's saying that, you know, I will walk in step with your spirit. So your kingdom come in me. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus told his disciples, um, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, 
let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In another version, it says, take up his cross daily and follow me. Taking up his cross means dying to ourselves. So when we say, your kingdom come, firstly, we have to think, your kingdom come in me. It's not a meaningless, your kingdom come. When we say that, we have to think, you know what? Yeah, your kingdom come in me, which means I am today decided to die to myself so that your kingdom can come and reign in me because my kingdom will clash with yours. And then the second thing we have to keep in mind is your kingdom come through me. Your kingdom come through me. As God's kingdom come in me, when we lay down ourselves, we are then freeing up ourselves to be used by God in all these little, little spheres of kingdom that we have, right? All of us have spheres of influence. In your vocations, you are part of the decision-making and, and, and you influence the decisions and you influence the outcome. In our families, we can cultivate the culture of our family, right? There's a sphere of influence. In our children, as parents, we can cultivate their, their disposition we can help build the characters. You know, we all have all these little spheres of influence. And as we, as we go, like, your kingdom come in me, then naturally we're going, like, you know what? Your kingdom come in now, now your kingdom come through me. And you are now, um, it's like Jesus now living through us into and influencing and reigning over those situations. As his kingdom come first in me, and then now his kingdom come through me in all these situations, all these circumstances, all these little, little kingdoms, all these spheres of influence that we have, Jesus have his way. Because God's kingdom is Jesus having his way and his say now through us in all those situations. So another thing about the kingdom, right, when we pray, your kingdom come, is that I'm just going to touch, touch on this really quickly. Um, because when we look at God's kingdom, there's this aspect of the now and not yet that we don't want to get into it a lot today, but just, I just want to touch it a little bit so that we understand. Um, you know, Jesus asks us to, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's an implication that it's not here yet, right? Because if it's right here, we wouldn't, play, we wouldn't say, come. But then we know, right, Psalm 145, I think, it says, um, God's kingdom is everlasting. It endures throughout the generations. So we know that the kingdom of God has already there. It, it has already been. It's already in existence. And then when Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand, so we know that, you know, at hand, is like, it, it, it's right there. We just need to grab, reach out and grab it. So we know the kingdom of God has come in Jesus. And then through this, um, and through the work of the church in Christ Jesus, like your kingdom through me, we know the kingdom of God is coming still. So every time someone accepts Christ, they enter from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is coming still. But then Jesus asks us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on, on earth as it is in heaven. So we know that it is still coming. It's not yet here. The fullness of God's kingdom is not yet here. In Luke, you know, I'm in the Luke for BRP, right? So I read this in Luke, right, that um, Jesus was, was telling the people about, like, his kingdom. Is this analogy of, he said, there's this, like, noble man, I'm trying to recall, this noble man who went to a faraway place, received that kingdom, and then they returned. It's like, the nobleman is, has received that kingdom and is now returning. So it's a little bit like that. Right? It's kind of like it's always been. It's coming, Jesus. It's still coming. And it will, and, and, and it's not yet come. And that will only be resolved when Jesus Christ returns as king. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not a meaningless recitation. Keep all this in mind when we pray that. Okay? Okay. So let me see where I am. Um, okay. So, 
there is a danger um, when when we when we say your kingdom come through me, right? Because God is using it. We are saying we are yielded to God. We surrender to God, and now we want God to use us to influence all these spheres to to bring His kingdom into. Our, our lives and, and all the situations that he's brought us in. However, there's this danger, right? Because due to our fallen nature, we can sometimes get this, his kingdom wrong because, well, because Satan is very deceptive, right? And also because of our fallen nature. So sometimes what can happen is it can be like a clash of kingdoms. So when Adam and Eve fell, sin entered the world, um, and then the dominion that, we, that, Adam, that, that they had has been handed over to Satan. Um, Jesus has restored that to us, but the after effects of it is like the, the self is enthroned. The self has been enthroned. So Derek Prince said this, he said, the fall of men um, shuts men into this prison called self. When the original um, uh, heavenly order and designs uh, are disrupted and the self is enthroned, then now the self is the king of the kingdom. So we always have to fight this self being the king of the kingdom, right? That's why it says, um, take up your cross daily and, 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 and follow him because we have to daily crucify the self because we have this tendency for the self to actually want to be king of our kingdom. So then, there's this, this danger. When we look at the world, um, we see this discrepancy between what God has intended and what's actually currently happening. It's a little bit like um, you imagine a, uh, a, a busy traffic industry, oh, you know, Shibuya Crossing. If, if, you, if you've been to Japan and, and, and you've probably you know, been to Shibuya Crossing, you see this massive intersection of traffic lights, right? Or if, if, you, if, you, if you haven't, it's all right. You know, just imagine this massive intersection of traffic lights, right? And then those lights, it's like, what God, it's like God's rules and, and, and orders and design to keep harmony and safety. And then because of kingdom of self, um, when a driver breaks the traffic rules, right, it causes chaos and confusion. So that, that's why there's this disharmony between what God has intended, right, and what we're seeing now. It's a little bit like a, a, a child with two disunited parenting styles, right? One is like, it's like, it's like we are in this, in this world, like, like the child, there's, there's a, a voice that is telling the, um, the, you know, the child to go like, you know what, it's encouraging, encouraging the child to self-entitlement, um, self-indulgence. And yet there's this other voice that is within us, that, that you know, this voice that tells us that we are, have been designed to worship God. So there's this tug of war, there's these two voices that causes a lot of confusion. So now we see a world, this, this kingdom, where it has been dominated by self, where there is like just so much confusion. Now we cannot tell the difference between a lie or a truth. We can't tell the difference between um, what brings life and what brings death. There's just so much confusion. So we see this discrepancy between what God has intended and what we're living now. So God said, you know, I pray that his kingdom come, that his will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So now, that is not just what's happening currently, right? If you look back at history, I'm saying the reason why I say that this danger is sometimes we can't really fully discern if what we are doing is truly indeed God's kingdom come through me. Because sometimes on the outside, it may look the same. And, and, and we may actually sincerely believe that we are living out God's kingdom in our spheres. If you look back at history, right, we see the Crusades. 
it is done under the guise of extending the kingdom of God. But we know that it is extending the kingdom of man. But the people who championed the crusades full-heartedly believed they are extending the kingdom of God. And they gave their life for it. And you look at our current times, right? There is an uprising of tolerance and compromise, watering down the core teachings of the Word of God so that it's more palatable to the world. Now, I don't believe, right, the people who, who or the leaders who do that think they are doing the wrong thing. They sincerely believe that, you know, like the gospel should be accessible to everyone. It shouldn't be offensive, right? If it's not offensive, they can get more people to the church and they can share, and they can share the good news with them. So they're extending the kingdom of God. And when I look at my own personal lives, when my kids were young, all of my prayers for them can be summarized in a good life. You know, like help them get into a good school, give them good grades, give them a good job at a good company, help them marry a good spouse, have good children, have good marriage, have good grandchildren, have a good life. But then God began to convict me. And then I began to ask those prayers, and I pray for them a lot. Those prayers, am I praying my will over their lives? Or am I praying God's will over their lives? How would I feel? Will it clash with my will for them? If God tells me I want your kid to go to Ukraine as a missionary, will it clash with my will? So, you know, we all have good intentions. We all want His kingdom come in, in us and His kingdom come through us. But sometimes it's all this like, I call it counterfeit. It's all these little, little kingdoms littered with good intention, littered with sincere convictions and sincere belief that we can be tricked into thinking that we are extending the kingdom of God. But actually, we could be extending the kingdom of men. Now, I'm not saying that good is not from God. You know, God is a good God. But all the things that we deem good may not be God's definition of good. Right? It could be our own definition of good. It could be the culture's voice telling us what is good. How do we know? Prayer. And a couple of tools that we're going to introduce today, they will help us to better discern that. So just in case you think... Um, that, you know, it's just our ancestors. It's those, just those crusade people or the church leaders in the other suburb who's, who's doing this watering down of God's word. You know, like, it's always just that family. It's, it's not going to happen to me. You know, because we are grounded in the word of God. We are, we are praying a lot. Um, but look at Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus warns us that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is a sobering passage because Jesus <laughs> asserts that on the day of judgment, he's going to refuse entrance to many people, right? not just a few people, to many people, even though they call him Lord, Lord, and even though they claim that they've done all these mighty works. You know, just, Jesus never disputed that they actually did all those mighty works. He just said that, you know, he never knew them. So then we know this is, this is like not the past. This is Jesus telling us what happens in the future. So then it will be unwise of us to think that, you know what, it, it's, it's just those other people. It would be unwise of us to not self-reflect and to be on guard and to be careful and to, be, to, and to make sure, right, the kingdom that we are extending is His will. 
Because wherever His will is, there is His kingdom, right? It is very terrifying to, okay, it's already very terrifying to see God on Judgment Day. But it's so terrifying to find out when you finally, finally see God, and then you were like expecting to enter into the kingdom of God, and then He said, I don't know you. Who are you? Right? That they, they sincerely believed that they were going in. But thankfully, it's not all bad news, thankfully, Jesus clarifies who gets in. That is, those who does the will of my Father in heaven. This is why we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done in me and through me. It's not something we can let a guard down. And it's not time to play games. It's not time um, to build our own kingdoms where everything suits our preference. It is time to lay down our lives, to lay down our preferences. Like prayer, I know prayer is a hard ground. I know that. You know, I've been in this church for almost 30 years now. Next year, we celebrate our 30th anniversary. And we know prayer has always been hard ground. We, all these years, but this season, I'm challenging all of us, all of us, to get out of our comfort zone, right? It may not suit our schedule. It may not suit, you know, like your preference. It may not be something you're comfortable with. It's not something that you've, you've developed a habit for. But let's get out of that. It, it, it doesn't need to suit us. In fact, it mustn't suit us. It has to suit God, and it's only in prayer we develop this intimacy with God. There's no other way. How can you not communicate with, with God, right? And think that we have like, an intimate relationship with Him. Like, come on. It's, it's just like, it doesn't make sense. But I think it's because we don't understand what prayer is. Right? Because sometimes we, we think prayer is like this tool that, that we come and we ask God to do what we want Him to do in our midst. And then sometimes He does, sometimes He doesn't. So prayer is this tool that sometimes works, sometimes it doesn't work. So then when the tool is unreliable, we don't, we don't go and use it, right? We, we try to look for alternative. But prayer is not just that. So during this season, we're really trying with very concerted effort to, to expand our understanding of prayer and to encourage everyone to go, you know what, we really, truly, truly, truly need to pray. So we need to grow in prayer. <sighs> okay. So now we're going to just quickly move into the practical part because we did say that we want to make this series very practical and not just conceptual because we are done with just understanding and, and, and knowing but actually never practicing because the Bible calls it a fool, right? Like just hearing and not doing. So we want to give really practical tools and um, I've picked these two because my spiritual life have been so transformed when I've added these two elements in my prayer life. So it is um, listening and contemplation. I know that when we say prayer, these two elements doesn't, don't necessarily come naturally, um, but it is so important, right? Because when we talk about prayer being communication with God or communication um, uh, you know, to build intimacy, we can't have intimacy if all we do right, is just talk to our spouse, but we never listen. So then listening and contemplation, it's like beholding, it's like to think and it's a look for a long time, it's like look for a long time or to gaze intently or to study carefully. These are all like core things in prayer and, and my own spiritual life, like it has been changed in 2020, early 2020, I had um, a personal spiritual revival. Um, I remember it was a time where 
I felt drawn to spend extended time in prayer. I remember it was like, I would spend every day, every day, two to three hours in prayer. Now, we were in lockdown, okay? So we had a lot of time. I can't do that now, even though I want to, like, I, I, I can't. But at that time, it kind of kick-started something in me. And then in this prayer time, like, I'm not just talking for three hours. It was a time where I would just come and sit in the presence of God in worship, and then sometimes just quiet, listening to Him, reading His Word, or maybe listening to a message, but just communing, just being, instead of doing, but just being with Him. And then I noticed that I began to grow more um, like in love with Him. I begin to experience his love in deeper ways. You know, God is really kind. Some of these concepts, maybe it's hard for us to understand, but he has created like, hu like, like human and, and natural examples. It's like spending time with the person that you love. You know, as you spend more time together, getting to know one another, listening, and, and simply just enjoying each other, even in silence. You know, you experience that love more, your love grow mutually. It was a little bit like that. And there was the first time I've been a Christian for almost 30 years now. And only three years ago that I started to experience that kind of prayer. And it's not just, you know, prayer. <laughs> So that's why today I want to bring these two um, elements into your prayer, hopefully, right? It's okay, it doesn't, need, it doesn't need two to three hours. It can actually just be half an hour. And I know, I know, some of us do have half an hour, but I also know some of us, we struggle to have like 10 minutes to ourselves. But it's okay, because actually what I found is like, like now I find I struggle to have like an hour even, right? But I find that even with listening, when I'm doing what I would call like brainless things, like if I'm cleaning the toilet or doing the laundry or chopping my vegetables or cooking, those are not like brain-intensive kind of work. But then when I'm doing all those, it's almost like uh, muscle memory, right? My, my attention doesn't have to be there. My attention is like oh, I'm listening to God. So I'm aware of his presence. I'm still communing with him. His presence is still with me. I am still praying, right? Because I'm listening to him and then I'm dialoguing with him and then he will tell me that, oh, you know what? Pray for this. Pray for this person. Pray for this situation. And all, the, and all this while I'm like doing things that I need to do. We all have to cook. Oh, well, maybe not all, but you know, but we all, uh, maybe not all have to clean the toilet, but we all do laundry. I mean, I don't know what you do, what you have to do, what you don't have to do, but there are things that you do. <laughs> okay, driving, right? But there are things that you do that actually don't require your intense focus and attention. And if you've developed this disposition where we're aware of God's presence all the time, and we're aware that He is wanting to speak to us, that He is speaking to us, we can learn to listen. And that's part of prayer. That's part of prayer, right? And sometimes you go, okay, you know what? Now you have a bit of 10 minutes, just go sit in the corner and contemplate. You know, you study him. You look at him. You gaze at him intently. You know, is that your lover? Just, you know, like just gazing at you. It's, it's, it's intimacy. It's relationship. That's part of prayer. And that is a very, very important element of prayer. It's transformative. It's transformative. I kid you not. I'm not going to tell you things that I, you know, I myself have not um, embraced and worked on because I've seen the goodness of it. So I want to share that with you. It's transformative. And I can, wow, you know, I just imagine when, when all of us, all of us are ignited in prayer, we have this deep intimacy with God, our church will explode. You know what? The communities that we are part of, they will be touched because there's no way that we're not going to make a difference when we've had that kind of time with God. But then if we try to do it on our own strength, 
right? We may run like, like a bright fire and only to diffuse two days later. So it's transformative, not just in our own lives, but in our family and in wherever it is that God has placed us in all, our, all these little, little kingdoms that we say, you know what, God, your kingdom come, your will be done in me and through me. So we begin to make a difference in those little, little spheres of kingdoms and bring them in alignment with God's kingdom. And then we're extending God's kingdom. But what power is it? You know, the crusades, um, the, 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 you know, compromising um, the, the, the word of God. What power is that? Not, not in our intimate time with God. It's not. It is us trying to figure out what is the right thing to do, right? But the problem is when we try to figure out what's the right thing to do, that right thing to do may not be what's the right thing to do. And that's how we can be deceived. But then when it's birthed out of that intimate time of listening and contemplating, then we have a better chance, right? That we can be more assured, more discerning that we indeed we're extending God's kingdom. Okay, I don't know where I am at the slide because I've just gone off script. <laughs> okay, and I think we are, it's almost time. <laughs> it's 11.45. Um, okay, so I won't keep you much longer. So um, I just want to say this, you know, like, I think this is, I have to address these two things. So some of you may think that, oh, listening and contemplation is something for like a, especially, a specialist group of prayer people, right? Like if God's gifted you in prayer, you, that's what you do. But then when you look at the Bible, prayer is not a gift. There's no spiritual gift called prayer, <laughs> right? It's not, it's not a particular group of people that's gifted in prayer and they do all this. It's not. So if you think that it is something that is only for like a specialist um, group of people, you know, then, then you're wrong. So because the fact of the matter is all of us already contemplate. For instance, um, okay, I'll try to wrap it in five minutes. For instance, who goes to the movies? Or who watches movies? Come on. <laughs> You know, um, there's this, you know the, the movie experience, right? When you, when you first go in the movie, you, you go into the cinema and then you may have your snacks, your chalk top, Chris loves his chalk top, he brings a chalk top into the movies. And then like, my kids will like, like popcorn, like, you know, drinks. And then we go into the cinema and then you, you have your drinks and then you have this reclining seat. Um, you recline your seat, put your blanket on because it's, it's cold. You know, you're, you're very much aware of, of yourself. Right? When you first enter into this cinema. And then when you sit down, and then the movie starts, if it's a good movie, you become to be drawn, to begin to be drawn into the movie. And then suddenly you're less aware that you have your popcorn next to you or your drinks next to you because now your attention is on the movie. And if the movie is really good, right, sometimes you get drawn deeper into that and then not only are you now not aware that you are in the cinema, you think you are in the movie. So that is the journey of contemplation. We all do that. I remember when I was watching a musical, Miss Saigon, I watched it three times, right? I won't spoil it for you. Um, but that this scene, <laughs> Miss Saigon is about ultimately the, a mother's um, sacrifice so that the, the, the child can have a better life. And that this scene a tragic scene that she, she did a very sacrificial act. Like I was so engrossed in that musical. And when that scene occurred, I burst out crying. And it was really embarrassing because I went with a whole group of people. It is that journey, right? It's not for a specialist group of people because we all already um, do that. It's just in a different context. And then another thing, right? And I'll end with this. I promise I'll end with this. And I, I just feel it's, I need to... I need to add this. Um, some of you may think that, you know what, oh, you know, you just sit in the corner and you listen and you, you, and, and, you, know, you like contemplate. Is it a little bit escapist? You know, what, is, what good is it going to do to the poor, to the needy, to the hurting? I want to draw your attention to Isaiah 6. You know, Isaiah 6, this passage where Isaiah 
beheld God. He saw God. That is when he said, you know, he saw the angel, he saw God seated high on the throne. The robe like filled his temple and he saw the angels and then, then they cry, holy, holy, holy. Remember that passage? And that is out of that context. That, that is Isaiah's contemplative encounter. And it's out of that, that encounter, right? It's in that context when God say, now who can I send? And Isaiah said, me, send me. So from that contemplative encounter, Isaiah received his commission. He didn't just like contemplate and had a contemplative encounter and nothing happened. That was when he received his commission. He was empowered to do what God has called him to do. He was empowered to extend God's kingdom. He was empowered to do God's will. So it's not escapism. Like it's not like, you know, just sit in the corner. It's not for a specialist group. It's for all of us. All right. Okay, I know my time is up. So I just want to encourage you. Try that. Try that. Even if you start with five minutes, some quiet, or you can go for your walk, try to tune in. Try to listen. Let your words be few. Tune in. Contemplate. Okay. I'm going to pray for all of us. Father, we want to thank you, Lord God, for, for the work of Jesus on the cross that has enable us now to just come freely into your presence. Lord, we sometimes forget what a privilege that is. We are so grateful that we can just enter into your presence whenever we want because you have welcomed us, you've made it possible because the veil has been torn and now we have direct access to you, Father. Lord, so we repent and we apologize, Father God, for, for those times that we have taken it for granted, Lord. So convict us, Father. Draw us, draw us, Holy Spirit, draw us to want to know you more, to want to spend time with you, to want to listen and contemplate you, to want to behold your beauty, to not take your presence and, your, and, and our accessibility to your presence for granted, Father. So I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit will speak to each one to inspire us, to encourage us to press deeper into your presence in listening and in contemplation. Help us to grow as a church in prayer and in intimacy with you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.